Hi everyone, welcome to Driven to Sell. This is the podcast for anyone working as a sales professional or business leaders who have an interest and responsibility in driving sales. I'm your host, Daniel Addy, and I interview top performers from many walks of life, including sales, business leaders, authors, and elite performers from sport and beyond, really tapping into what led them to achieving great things whilst uncovering tactics and strategies for what really creates excellence in performance and how that can translate into business and sales excellence. Mindset, resilience, strategy, planning and execution are all on the table. In today's episode, I interview Graham Stanley, a veteran of over 30 years operating in a variety of executive and commercial roles within technology, media, and entertainment. Graham started his career in his native Canada, working for a cable TV company, and has since taken on many successful executive commercial roles in Europe for organizations, including ITV, cable, and wireless. Today, Graham lives in Barcelona with his family and works as a strategic consultant for TV and media media companies across EMEA. Graham knows a thing or two about selling. He's also spent plenty of time as a buyer. And in today's episode, we get into discussing the buyer's perspective on selling, commercial leadership, and Graham tells me about the best pitch he ever received. For now, remember, value yourself so that you can bring more value to the market. Hi, Graham. I, uh, I think we're in here. How's, uh, how's the day treating you so far, sir? The day's been fantastic so far, although it's a bit warm here where I am. You Barcelona? I'm in Barcelona, and uh, it's been a very hot summer, and it's September, and it's still pretty warm. It is. I, I hear there have been thunderstorms out in Spain. Is that uh, not in true? In Madrid and in the middle of the country, there was some um, uh, very large storms. We've only really had one here, and uh, we need more. We do so, need more. Uh, so, so last thing on the weather, I'm in the UK and it, we, we've got what what one could, could only call a heat wave and it's about 25 degrees out there. So it's uh, in September, it's not too bad. But uh, um, thankfully, I'm coming out your way next week anyway. So we're, we're heading to Cadiz next week. Oh, are you going to Cardiff? That's great. Oh, Cardiff. There we go. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll enjoy that. No, you'll enjoy that. Uh, that's a great place to go. Yeah, I've n- never been. So, I, I can't, where did it come from? I think that my uh, my missus said she either wanted to go to Valencia or or, or Seville, um, and Cadiz is quite close to Seville, right? And we're going to go take in a Seville football game as well. How oh, are you? That's great. Well, I mean, that's my influence, clearly, right? That's <laughs> so, a good thing to do when you're there, though. And yeah, it's not that it's not that far away. It's true. Yeah. Cool. So, um, so look, Graham. Just for for the benefit, obviously, you and I have have, have known each other for quite some time, um, albeit speak sporadically at, at the very best. But um, just the the reason why I sort of asked you to to sort of join me here um, in this brand new podcast here was because of the varied background that you've got and quite interesting storied background that you've got from a professional perspective, right? So, um, for the want of a better way of doing it, you know, why, why don't you sort of give us a bit of a potted history because it's, it's quite unique and I think there's some certainly some interesting um, perspectives that you could give on on sales as a profession coming from the background that you have done. Sure well I have been um, 
now selling since about 1989, 1990. So it's been many, many years. People can do the maths. I'm not sure how many years was that. 33, 33 years. About nine less years than I've been alive. (laughs) There you go. There you go. And uh, I started uh, in the woods in Canada uh, and ended up uh, selling there on the East Coast with uh, a cable company that uh, was providing cable television uh, across a region. Then I was in the UK, living in uh, Leicester and then London, uh, working with uh, Cable Wireless Communications and some other, and ITV, uh, and ITV Digital in the UK. Then uh, was in Spain for a period of time, uh, working here, where I am now. Uh, But I didn't stay here. I did actually leave. Went to uh, the Netherlands uh, over the past, most recently. When you and I first met back in 2017, sure. uh, started selling for a, uh, a television company based there that sells TV channels and and uh, TV programming worldwide. And uh, so, yes, I have covered a lot of different regions, a lot of different countries, and have been selling a lot of different products and services to uh, consumers as well as to companies uh, over that period of time. But, but you've you've also been in, in in positions certainly lots of positions of leadership, but positions where you've done done the buying right, and you've done that I quite have extensively. Been a seller and a buyer, that's yeah. correct. And so I have uh, had the privilege of sitting on both sides of the table, uh, both receiving offers and and uh, making offers. Indeed. And how has that informed your ability to uh, to make the offer? How has receiving the offer? informed your ability or capability to to make the offer more effectively or less effectively as the case may be (laughs) (laughs) no definitely definitely more effectively definitely it is far more effective to understand when uh you are receiving what people are trying to sell you and how they communicate that the way that they construct the value proposition uh try and overcome your objections and try and close a sale. Uh, when you're in the opposite situation, having experienced that, uh, you are in a much better position to understand me in a general way. You still need to do a lot of homework, but in a general way, understand and eliminate some of the things that you know are just not going to make any difference and really uh, Focus in on your your uh, unique selling propositions, the things that differentiate you, the things that are going to help the person on the other side of the table feel very safe and secure in a decision that helps the both of you. And generally, it's uh, never an argument. It's about two people getting to a, a, a joint win. Yeah, and I, you know, I think if I if I, I look back to my sort of upbringing in sales back when I was. Uh, 17 18 years old going through college and university funding my way through that with uh, with lots of telesales door-to-door type sales roles which were you were always taught to be com- it was almost like a combative thing which is to, to me these days looking back at it completely the wrong way of approaching it right 
It, yeah, it, it is. I I understand. I did do telesales for a period of time in Canada. Uh, you know, you would go in, you'd be given a list, you would cold call people, you would just phone. Obviously, that's irritating to receive. And so there's almost an antagonistic approach uh, and situation from, from the onset. How yep. you overcome that and make a sale is uh, very, very challenging. And you're right. Uh, a lot of salespeople will be aggressive and be somewhat antisocial and just trying to keep you on the phone or keep you on the front door just that little bit longer. And uh, it's difficult not to do that if you don't have any other means to, to make a sale. Yeah, I, I, um, I had an experience of it just, just last week, actually. So you're, obviously you're aware of Sky, uh, Sky TV in the UK, right? So, yes. m- m- you know, I, I got a call from a, clearly a sales call, and I, I don't mind it. I'm, I've been worked in sales myself. I, I love being sold to, especially if it's done well. Um, but ultimately I'm buying, right? I'm not being sold. <laughs> um, and the guy, the, the guy's sort of opening gambit was that he was sort of checking that I was happy with the services and all of those sorts of things. He's clearly mm-hmm. looking to looking to upsell me. Cool, no problem at all. Um, I'm on hands free in the car, and, and and interestingly, it's so frustrating calling Sky. Right, so when they call you, it's like, oh, oh okay, I speak to someone now, uh, right? Okay, um, and. I can't remember what the challenge is, but I was asking him about the package that I had and about this certain challenge that I was having with, with one thing or another. I can't remember what it was, but he didn't want to know. He literally said, I didn't ask you that. This is what oh. I asked you. It oh, was very heavens. combative. He was combative oh, straight away. I was, I was, I've got someone from Sky here. Let me ask them this. It's, he was sort of very much, no, I'm ignoring this. I'm here to sell you on this idea that I'm picking the phone up to you about right now. And and it just sort of, not that it needed to, but it sort of brings into stark contrast that just really just listening, number one, and having some empathy can go a long way, right, as far as being able to sell to people effectively. Well, one of the things that uh, if you do take any sales courses or read any books, I mean, one of the things that you are taught very early on is to be an active listener. And, and that comes back to your point about empathy. People want to make sure that they are being listened to and understood. And so if you can repeat back what that person has said to you in your reply, you're forming a you're you're forming a, a way in which you are saying to them, I've heard you, I understand you. Uh and and my reply is going some way to trying to help you get what you want. Yeah. And that's incredibly important, especially in situations uh, in a business-to-business environment where you are trying to form long-term relationships with individuals and organizations and some kind of superficial, uh, please sign this paper, we'll send you a bill and you'll never see me again, does not work. (laughs) No, no, absolutely. And and so look, obviously you've got the long and storied career, but and a lot of that's been sort of on the commercial call face of, of selling and sales leadership and all of those sorts of things. But I'm always intrigued to find out what what brought you to, to, to doing that. You've given me the potted history as far as a career is concerned. But, you know, what, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Did you dream about sort of doing what you're doing now or what did you want to be? <laughs> Not at all. I, honestly, I had no idea what I wanted to be. Uh, it wasn't I, I was never one of those people who had already decided i had a friend in high school 
he knew he wanted to be a dentist in grade 10. Uh, grade 10 would be something around being, what, 16 years old. Yeah. And uh, I didn't. I mean, I was, I would say that I had a, a very big interest in, in um, foreign affairs and history and uh, that sort of thing. So I suppose I'm not surprised I've ended up traveling a lot and living in different countries and working for companies in different countries. But no, really, I got into this really because I uh, applied and got a job, which <laughs> led to other things. And before you know it, you're, you're beginning a career. And, um, and that's really what happened. Yeah, it's nothing more it, complicated. <laughs> no, it's um, especially in these sorts of formats, right? And when you look at sort of content that people want to put out there for, for people to, to consume is they sort of tend to rewrite history as to how things happen, right? Just because it sounds cool um, <laughs> or sounds like something people might want to hear. But it's, no, it, literally I applied for a job and I got it and and here we are over many years later. <laughs> and that <laughs> Which is, is pretty much it. Uh, after that, I suppose I did a, a bit of a Jim Carrey uh, where I, I just kept saying yes. Uh, they would, the company would say, um, the, the yes man movie is the reference, but the, um, <clears throat> but, uh, the company I was working for in Canada, uh, said we have a position, we've bought this cable franchise in, in the woods, in this small town. We, uh, we need someone to run it. Would you go do that? I mean, this was three people in an office and I said, sure. So down to the woods, I went. Uh, <laughs> after that, they said, we're moving people around, which within about a four-year period, because I was willing to move, uh, I ended up moving quite rapidly up through the organization. So um, I don't think it, well, it wasn't obviously just a willingness to move. Clearly, I was not messing things up too badly in the roles I was in, but um, but uh yes a willingness to understand what was needed a willingness to move a willingness to to go to different places and take risk has definitely been also uh key yeah and how how would you say and i think this more or less to to different extents for different people right as the personal people's personal lives you know affect their professional lives and vice versa right the two are, you know in my view inextricably intertwined so how, how does that play out for you how has your personal life you know affected your professional life and how can you oh. the follow-up from that would be how 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 can you make sure that that's that's generally a positive thing as opposed to a negative thing uh well i think in answer to your second question uh, I think if anyone can figure that out, they should definitely <laughs> write the book or make the movie. I will read it and buy it. I think a lot of other people will too. I, the work-life balance, uh, the private versus the, the company, I mean, that's always uh, a big challenge. Mm. Uh, for instance, with Insight TV, uh, the office is in Amsterdam. So although I've got uh, family here in Barcelona, I was in Amsterdam prior to the pandemic, uh, every week. I mean, I was going back and forth and doing a lot of traveling. And the Insight TV role did require me to travel quite a lot. I would be in uh, Asia, I would be in North America, uh, throughout Europe, and uh, selling. 
yep. talking to clients and attending conferences. And so, uh, no, look, that is that is a real challenge. Uh, moving from Canada, where I started out, to the UK, and moving uh, my family over, and then deciding to stay in the UK and raise the family in the UK. Again, it's a big challenge. Um, and uh, look, all these challenges do not always, you don't always win all of them. You no. definitely do not always win all of them. Uh, maybe winning and losing is the wrong words, but things do change a lot. And heaven knows lots has changed with me and my personal relationships over the years. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, that that is just, um, that is life. I think it is a lot easier if you stay in one place. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't recommend necessarily anyone do what I've done. Uh, it's, yeah. When when you move when you move or your your work takes over a lot, um, you know it it is one of those challenges that uh, means that you don't see your family as much. Or with moving, you don't see family, you have no support. I mean, it it puts pressure on everyone. So, yeah, uh, yeah you know that's that is challenge. I suppose these are things though that you don't really think about or you really fully understand until you're in them. And so this is why I say if anyone can write a book or can explain how to <laughs> how to know what you're getting into before you get into it, yeah, yeah, you'll make a lot of money. Do you think it's do you think organizations and leadership within organizations view on what's expected in terms of presence has changed over the last few years at all? Certainly post pandemic in certain mm. industries, absolutely. Um, prior to the pandemic, I think I, along with virtually everybody else who worked in an organization, uh, assumed that you would go to the office yeah. and working from home was not something people would say, yeah, I could do this from home, but it wasn't really something that was debatable or considered in a serious way. Now, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh in my last role post pandemic we had uh the company running on zoom and teams consultants in china and singapore and in the us and in the uk and so the sales because based the company's based in the netherlands we have one client in the netherlands uh, you can okay. go see them once a month or once every couple of months that's fine um because you're signing long-term multi-year contracts. Uh, but no, you, you're almost forced uh, in our situation to run it uh, at a distance, and that does not require attendance in an office. It does require maturity, connectivity, familiarity with the team. And if that doesn't exist, then yeah, being in an office and being able to uh, get to know how people act, cope, and work is um is essential as a start point yeah sure you, you talked about selling long-term um multi-year contracts and and such like you've talked about selling to, to lots of different organizations all over the world but th this is one thing that i i always sort of wonder about the selling conceptually 
right? So from a conceptual perspective, not conceptual selling, right? <laughs> um, what is selling? How, how would you define it? What is it? Well, selling for me is approaching another person, entity, and it doesn't matter, an opposite, with something that you think that they should be aware of and would find a value. And, uh, and in trying to explain the value, you have to go through the process of selling. And, and for me, it is communication and, and, and explanation. And the better you're able to understand who's sitting on the other side of the table and what they do find of value and of importance, both personally and professionally for them, uh, the more successful you will likely be. And not, it's not guaranteed because there's lots of other external factors that influence decision making, yeah. but just at that core, at that core function, that coal face, that, that is selling for me. Yeah. And if you were to sort of cast your mind back over the, the sort of years of, of career that you've had, hmm. when would you, when would you say you were, were most successful from a, a selling perspective? Whatever that means, that's your definition, right? It's your, your, it's your gift. Most successful. That, you know, that is a, that's a difficult question to answer because each of the companies I've been with are quite different in many respects. And so, uh, for instance, I would say that uh, with the most recent role I've had, uh, the company started out with three or four clients. There are now hundreds. And you know, that success was really down to the fact that when I got there, there was a certain lack of explanation as to what the proposition was, what the benefits of that proposition would be to the customer base of the business we were talking to, uh, making sure that from a, a, com you know, a competitive pricing viewpoint, we could explain and validate what we were asking for. And, and then there is another element to this, which is, I suppose I'd put it down to confidence, being able to make the other person feel confident that they're making the right decision. Because for what we're selling, television channels and content, TV programming, yeah. uh, you really don't know how successful it's going to be until it's actually on that platform going into people's homes and people start to watch it. So yeah. there is a lot of, um, at the very base of it, uh, a level of trust and confidence that that person has in, in me, the company, the product we're pushing, that uh, they're making the right decision and that we're not telling them something that is... Uh, incorrect or that they'll be disappointed with and yeah now uh insight tv has carriage in korea in uh soon in taiwan in australia throughout the u.s canada germany spain uk i mean it's it's got tv channels in a lot of different uh, places content has been sold to national geographic and discovery and 
uh, a lot of rather large companies, and they've produced con produced content with uh, the BBC and and a lot of other pretty well recognized organizations. So, yeah, yeah over time, uh, I think the level of awareness of insight in the in the industry has also gone into really helping uh, make it a success and and so i think look that that's been a successful uh exhibition of of selling prior to that though i think getting into the company i i managed here in spain between 2005 and 10 that that success was around expansion of products and services but also about getting the company to break even. <clears throat> yeah. And we managed to do that, um, take it from around 17 million in annual revenues in 2005 when it was sold uh, eventually to AMC Networks. But when it was sold in 2010, you know, we had over 42 million in revenues, and that was on the expansion of up from about 7 to 11. 12 TV channels and um, and also rebranding, repositioning, and just doing a lot of operational stuff far, far better than had been done before. So again, worked well, but uh, a different proposition uh, within one market, highly competitive market. Yeah. Yeah, I guess one of the things I'm trying to tap into is obviously a lot of a lot of the people that are going to watch this will be There'll be a combination of people, but I, I expect the lion's share of people to be anywhere from two to 10 years into a career in sales, right? Certainly right. more junior than yourself, perhaps people that have worked for you in the past, right? And and one of the things that I see a lot of the time, certainly in our recruitment business separate to this, um, is is people becoming discouraged quite easily um, in, in mm. what they do. They'll never tell you that um, and, and be overt about that to begin with, but there's a lot of that that goes around. And I guess... Sometimes it's that perspective of understanding what success really looks like and how much influence you as a person can have on that. And that's what mm. I was trying to tap into really is how much of it, how much of what your perceived success would be from your perspective is about what you did versus yeah. the circumstances that prevailed at the time. That's true. I th you know, no, I, I absolutely right, Dan. I think um, it is very easy to get discouraged. Well, on the flip side of, of it, course. just to give another example would be, yeah. You know, the the sorry if I, I cut across you there. It, it, it no, seems no. to cut up a little bit. But <laughs> on the flip side no, of it, there's you know, the, the salespeople are great at bragging about how well they've done, right? Um, and you know, blasting a target, blasting hundred percent of target, unless you do one hundred eighty percent of target for three years running, when market and trading conditions are fantastic, and you've got a product that's right in the sweet spot, right at the right time, and being able to achieve that is is a world away from actually going to work for a company whose product is first to market and you're having to make and create that market. And very often I find, certainly from a recruitment perspective, people don't ask that question. The question is, well, what set of circumstances prevailed such that you performed like that? And of course, there's an element of the person that comes into it and what they did, but, but actually what were the circumstances? What was prevalent at the time? I don't know what your thoughts on that are. No, well, look, and, and that's exactly why I said oh, I agree, and I think that's why yeah. I said earlier, an individual has a lot of control over how they look and sound and behave and can influence up to a point the decision-making process. But I did say excluding external factors. You're quite yeah. right. I mean, if there's a, 
no propensity to buy. Yeah, a company is just saying, look, we're letting people go right now. We've got cost control measures. We, we are not buying right now. You yeah. can be the greatest salesperson in the world. Uh, highly unlikely you're going to make that sale. And of course, that can occur over a period of time. So that can be very frustrating. That can be very frustrating because obviously companies come under a lot of stress and you see that. Um, you know, most recently in the UK, you've seen Wilco go into receivership and I'm sure that that's been a long, slow decline. Uh, market factors change and some things companies propositions offers either go out of fashion they don't maintain their market uh, competitiveness There's nothing a salesperson can do about that no. what, what a salesperson can do though is very clearly explain not in incredibly boring logical terms i mean that comes into it to a degree but yeah, going in to, to meet somebody and getting to know them a little bit, finding out what you've got in common, uh, liking people helps a lot. <laughs> if yeah. you're in sales and you really don't want to be around people, you might want to reconsider what you're doing. Uh, and to be very clear about what your, what, your, what your value proposition is, because at some point, in that conversation, in that half hour or hour that you get to, to talk to somebody in a business-to-business -business environment, you will come around to, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. You know, we're pretty enthusiastic about it. No one else is doing quite this. And you go through uh, not reading dryly from a PowerPoint or some speech, but something that does feel honest and legitimate and and frankly is honest and legitimate everybody will exaggerate and everybody will say this is the greatest compared to whomever else has a product <laughs> a competitive product out there and that's part of it and that's what the role of the person on the other side of the table is there for it's to um evaluate and consider but uh being discouraged there's no harm in saying I, I want to try and do better next time, but understanding why it didn't work, why you failed, going back to the company, talking to people, saying, how can we do this a little bit better? What were the objections that I've received? How can we overcome those objections next time I go back to them or somebody else? How can we deal with these issues? Uh, even if a company doesn't have money, Sometimes you can even do deals where you say, look, don't pay me for six months. If that's, uh, if that's something that a company that you're working for is willing to do to get a, a two-year agreement and there is a deferred or... So then it becomes an issue of how flexible are you? How imaginative can you or the company be yep. in terms of locking down deals? And yeah, without getting into specifics, again, this can sometimes be uh, a great way to create a very valued client for many years to come. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what's the thinking about it from the buyer's perspective now? So when you've been a buyer in the, in, in the past, what's the, what's the best sales pitch you ever received? Do you, do you recall? The best and what sales made it, pitch and what I've made ever it so? received. Hmm. 
And very often in your business, right, it's not just one pitch, is it? It's it, over well, a period of time, but, you know. Yeah, I think probably. <laughs> okay, well, this is, a, this is actually, I would say, this is probably the best pitch I ever received. And, and your listeners can judge as to whether or not I was, I was fooled or not. I, I think I probably, well. <laughs> it's all on the record, so people can go and, and Google it if they want. Uh, I was managing a fairly large uh, content budget for On Digital, which then became ITV Digital, and this was the UK's very first uh, direct, uh, it was uh, digital terrestrial TV. And this was competing with Sky. This was back in 1999 through to about 2003, four. And we were competing with Sky to buy sporting rights. Uh, so we really did think that we needed to invest in football. And around that time, the, the, uh, the League One or just Premier down League. from the Premier League. Well, it wasn't the Premier right. League. It was yeah, you know, championship. Whatever. Yeah, so it's changed a few a few times over the years. I yeah, can't keep track what they're now calling it. Um, yeah, and I'm sitting in Barcelona, so all I do is watch Barcelona, <laughs> um, men and women. Um, <laughs> uh, and so they came along with a pitch that said, "These are the football rights. The, the, these are the clubs. This is the schedule." And we evaluated this, and we got into a very lengthy negotiation over uh, ITV Digital acquiring these football rights, which we eventually did. Now, of course, the, the pitch from their side was, we've got something unique, valuable, um, a proven uh, asset to any television platform sky had been showing football for years and at the time as well we were acquiring champions league rights for itv and there were pay rights uh, also for the champions league which we were also acquiring and i bought some bundesliga rights and so we were creating a football proposition uh yeah in the end we really should not have bought those rights at the price that we did. But but it was a great pitch. It was compelling. And, you know, part of part of it was an unspoken, this is kind of obvious. People want to watch football. Yep. People want to watch um, Birmingham City uh, play whoever. Uh, yeah, it is Stanley Accrington or whoever was in the whoever was in the the league at the time, and and it's twenty years ago, and and there was this this assumption that if we bought it, people would come, and that was not necessarily the case. But it was a great pitch; it worked well, and we spent a lot of money on those rights. Yeah, and I think the Premier League and the Champions League have done such a good job at branding and positioning what they have to to offer that, they have. that you know i think by most measures and i'm i'm a i'm a big football fan and uh 
just the rest of the English Football League have done such a terrible job of positioning <laughs> um, what, what, what they have to offer in comparison. In reality, you know, I'm a big Leeds United fan. You might be able to see that back there. We're in the second tier of English football now. And yeah. um, that that is, by most people's reckoning, the, probably the fourth or fifth best league in, in Europe um, behind La Liga, probably Bundesliga, certainly English Premier League and, and maybe the French League. But actually, no one would believe it because it's only second in the UK, right? Or second in England. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they do such a terrible job. But that league is so competitive, it's unbelievable. Um, but no one really believes that it's anywhere near the top of European football. Oh, it's, it's, it's an incredibly <laughs> um, attractive proposition. If mm. it could be uh, better positioned, marketed, managed, um, exposure, the scheduling of matches, I mean, Part of the problem that league has is that the Premier League, Champions League, and other and other uh, other sports tend to grab a lot of the the prime slots, yeah. viewing times or scheduling slots. So it tends to really fight for attention from that viewpoint. <clears throat> and uh, you know, I as you know, I lived in the UK for a long time. I've got two clubs I follow: Leicester right. City, Leicester City, which is like Leeds a bit frustrating but I love them and <laughs> and uh and uh Wimbledon uh which <clears throat> has kind of come out of nowhere and I'm I'm very very pleased to see Wimbledon doing well now they're continuing well you know they they continue to do reasonably well climbing up through the uh, the leagues so so that is that the original Wimbledon or what became MK Dons <laughs> no uh, well uh, no, I wasn't around. I wasn't in the UK when the Crazy Bunch was around, and then it all moved. I, I got to the UK right around the time that uh, that Wimbledon did move to to uh, Milton Keynes, and yeah. then uh, I moved from Leicester down to Wimbledon. And right around that time, a local community group uh, crowdfunded yeah. and started uh, Wimbledon FC, and. They started. Uh, they started playing just on pitches out in fields, and, <laughs> and they managed to slowly climb their way back into Wimbledon. Uh, you know where the uh, the old dog track was, and and get the uh, the stadium back up and running. And that's that's been fantastic for them, and a great example of community spirit. Uh, an amazing example. Yeah, what uh, what level are Wimbledon at now? What what sort of level of the the football pyramid are Wimbledon at? The yeah, they're in what the the second well, not Premier so they're down like two or three, depending on where you start from. Right, so it, it'll be the conference. What what was known conference, as the conference yeah, back in the day, something yeah. like that, whatever it's called these days. Yeah, um, sh sh showing our age here. So this this is quite good timing, really. I've, 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 we've created this little segment just for a little bit of fun. It's around sports because I'm into sports as well. So I ask each previous guest who their favourite sports team is. And then I asked the next guest um, a question or to finish the sentence. So my previous guest um, is a big Miami Marlins fan. Okay. So my complete the sentence. If I was a, if I were a Miami Marlins fan, I would. <laughs> uh, well, you see, this is complicated for me. Yeah. I've got a lot of teams. So I, I get first it. and foremost, growing up, I was a Montreal Canadiens fan, ice hockey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I I learned about football in the UK, so the two teams I just mentioned. Now I'm in Spain, and for lots of different reasons, big Barca fan. So 
Uh, can I pick one of those teams? Yeah, but but look, you could pick one of those, and that's going to be the question for the next guest. But 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 finish the sentence. If but, but, I were but I, so, if but, you... but if I was a but if I was a if I was a Marlins fan, what would I do? Yeah, that's exactly. What I, that's what I've got to answer. Oh. Well, you don't have to. I mean, there's no. No, no. <laughs> yeah, we. we... That's, that, that, that's fine. That's fine. Um, ah, what would I do? Marlins fan. I, I think I'll just say something easy like spend more money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Miami Marlins is baseball, right? It's, it's baseball, it right? It is baseball. Yeah. It is baseball. I think the only, I think the only other thing that, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Major League Baseball has a, has a, a fundamental issue around the age of their um, their their customers, their viewers, their fans. They're aging. Younger people yeah. aren't going. So they do need to uh, they do need to try and uh, appeal and attract to a younger audience. So maybe that's what they ought to do. If I was a Miami Marlins fan, I'd perhaps find a different sport. Then that might be the answer. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> but I said that, not you, of course. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, for the for the next guest. You can ask them what they would do if they were a Montreal Canadiens fan. Montreal Canadiens. Montreal Canadiens. It's the um, ice hockey team out of Montreal in Canada. I'm making a note here. <clears throat> Got it. That's, and, that's um, the next one. And, that's perfect. Uh, part of the um, – when I was thinking about this and we, we sort of had a, a bit of a chat, so does this make any sense? Look, we may ditch this thing, right? It might not make any sense at all, but – Part of the appeal of this for me was that actually I may be talking to someone that has no idea who who the previous team are, but but then it sort of dawned on me that that might actually create something quite intriguing in terms of a response. That's fun. <laughs> so, we'll That's see fun. what happened. But the, the first um, the first guest got uh, got this. <laughs> oh my goodness! What Leeds year United. was that? So that was that was the seventh of March, nineteen ninety. So oh my goodness. That was my very first Leeds United game, and that's the program from it. Fantastic. And um, I went. My uh, my uncle and my dad took me for my tenth birthday in 1990, and it was a it was a shocking nil nil affair in the old second division. Nothing to write home about. So heaven knows why I'm still a Leeds United fan to this day. <laughs> well, once and always, once and always, the year well, I moved to you know, the year I moved to Leicester, Leicester got promoted. And Leicester, the city was over the moon, ecstatic, yeah. and it was easy to get caught up in that. So I've always, um, I've always thought Filbert Street was a great, a great, uh, you know, great place, and the team is, uh, yeah, and, and Leicester, yeah, known more really for rugby than football. But I think uh, over the past ten years, uh, they the, the the footballs really picked up a lot there. Yeah, what, what what they did in winning the Premier League was really good for, in my view, for for, for English football. You know, because it's Fantastic. it's all about the money, right? And it it just goes to it's just encouraging for some of the other teams around uh, around the country to say, look, you, you know, if we if we get things right, that there's, there's the option there, right? No one wants to believe they can can never win when they're competing, right? And I just think it gave that encouragement to fans and to oh, and it to, proved and to teams it was possible, well. proved it yeah. was possible. Yeah, and you, However you unlikely. Didn't Pep, you didn't need Pep Guardiola. You, uh, you could do it with Claudio Ranieri. You, know, you could do it with um, <laughs> whoever, yeah. Absolutely. So back to business, one final thing I just, I, I just wanted to, to touch on sure. just before uh, I, I let you go, if that's all right. Um, 
Obviously, you've done a lot of leadership roles um, over the period of your career. Um, I was keen to really try and tap into what your perspective is because we will have lots of new sales directors, commercial directors stepping into you know, chief revenue officer roles, people stepping into those roles for the first time. And so I was intrigued to, to understand from your perspective what you believe good commercial leadership looks like in business today. Hmm. Well, this gets down to personal bias. And I have worked in a lot of different companies for a lot in a lot of different countries with a lot of different cultures and habits and all sorts of things. Generally, if you end up in that role, it's because you've been reasonably good at your job and you've been promoted. Uh, there is a tendency to say, I'm here, you're not. I'm probably better than you are at your job. <clears throat> and so I'm going to tell you how to do your job all the time <laughs> and watch <laughs> and and be uh omnipresent uh one of the things that i i did learn pretty early on just not because i was comfortable with it but because i didn't really have a lot of choice uh i had to start trusting people i had to start uh delegating and Obviously, making changes where changes need to be made, but you, if you want to grow, if you want the organization to grow, you want to be able to expand and not just grow at a arithmetic, but at an exponential rate, you need to take the risk of, of letting people who are in a sales role underneath you do their jobs. And insofar as you can provide that level of support and confidence that they can then go out and do their jobs in a comfortable and competent way. Uh, generally speaking, generally speaking, uh, things tend to go quite well. Uh, at the point at which you try and overmanage, you tend to have more turnover and in the employee ranks, you tend to micromanage more, which means you spend far more time than you want uh, in meetings and conversations <laughs> and looking at data points and just doing a lot of stuff that in the end doesn't really make a lot of difference to how a person goes in, connects, communicates, and sells to a, to a, to a target, a prospect, a, a potential client. Cool. So, um, look, Graham, if, if, if people are sort of listening to this want to sort of reach out to you um, mm. in any way, shape, or form, what's the, what's the best way to, to get in contact with you? They should definitely fly to Barcelona. Let me know where they are, and we'll sit down, have a chat, have a beer. <laughs> um, you can, uh, you can uh, find me on LinkedIn. I'm yep. absolutely on LinkedIn, and that's probably the quickest and easiest way to find me. And uh, write me a note. Happy to uh, receive notes and reply. Uh, or you can email me. Uh, I'm the way I spell my name is the Scottish Graham, so G R A E M E B Stanley at gmail.com. Yeah, we'll um, we'll we'll drop those uh, those links in the in the notes Perfect. when we when we when we push this out anyway. So uh, thanks for your time today, Graham. Let's let's just hang around for a, a couple of minutes after this while uh, while this thing uploads into the ether, as I say, um, and uh, hopefully we'll. Uh, We'll, we'll reconnect down the line at some point but thanks for thanks for your time today Graham really appreciate it thank you very much Dan for the chat it's been fun